0: Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Good morning. So our text today is Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want to start briefly by looking at what the Kingdom of God is not. It is not a matter of eating and drinking, although we enjoy those things, don't we? Mm -hmm. Paul was, of course, addressing those who were from a Jewish background who thought that righteousness came by following the law that's what that is all about there and paul says quite clearly that that is not what the kingdom is all about but it is about righteousness peace and joy and even those words righteousness peace and joy they're just a snapshot elsewhere in scripture paul talks about faith hope and love and there are other places where he talks about other things. But for today, we're just going to stick to those three. Starting with righteousness. What is righteousness? I looked in, um, I think it was Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And it talks about Righteousness being a state of, moral, of being morally right, justifiable, acting in accordance with divine or moral law, free from sin and guilt. And it lists synonyms as being decent, good, honest, having integrity, moral right, or having virtue. The root of the word righteousness is, of course, the word right. But not just in the sense that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is right. But also in terms of being morally right. So I want to look at righteousness from three perspectives. I want to look at it from God's perspective. From man's perspective. And then I want to look at righteousness in terms of what we do on a daily basis. So then God's righteousness they should go without saying that God's righteousness is perfect. He never makes mistakes. He's morally perfect. And of course we all accept this in principle, don't we? But is God still righteous when we turn on the news, when we hear about a tragedy or an atrocity? Is God still right when we hear bad news about our health or about a loved one? And of course, that's difficult, isn't it? It's a lot more difficult to accept that God is righteous, but He is still righteous. As Paul famously said in Romans 8 28, we know that in all things God works for the purpose of those who love Him, who have been called according to his purpose I'm just looking around I've realised there's no clock is there (laughs) that's a frightening prospect (coughs) anybody got lunch booked? (laughs) (laughs) so God's righteousness even when we don't feel it even when we don't perceive it He's still righteous. But what about us? Paul wrote to the Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He went even further at the beginning of Romans chapter 3 when he said this, there is no one righteous, not even one. Not even one there is no one who understands there is no one who seeks God all have turned away and they have together become worthless there is no one who does good not even one so you are included in that when it says not even one but God didn't abandon us in in that state Elsewhere in Romans, Paul looks back at the life of Abraham. And in Romans 4, t- verses 2 and 3, quoting from Genesis 15, he says, If Abraham was justified works by works, we have something to boast about, but not before God. So what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness so our right standing before God isn't a matter of eating or drinking or following rules it is about believing God and he will credit that to us as righteousness righteousness is not a matter of of works but a matter of faith that said, God does have works planned for us. He loves you just enough to to accept you the way you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you that way. Ephesians chapter 2. I hope this is right because I put it down as Romans in my notes. <laughs> for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So then, our righteousness, our right standing with God, our acceptability to God, is by faith. But on a day-to-day basis we still need to make righteous choices. In Proverbs, and I don't think we've got this one on the overhead, but it's a very simple verse, and you probably know it quite well. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. I came across a fairly tragic story recently that illustrates that point quite aptly it's got nothing to do with church but you'll see the connection when I tell you the story about 20 years ago um, a company in Russia called Sukhoi I think it is I don't speak Russian so I have no idea they developed a plane that seated a hundred people It was designed for short haul flights and to be able to get in and out of airports that are difficult to get to. And they wanted to get some of the money back by selling this plane to companies in Indonesia and other parts of the Far East. And someone pointed out to them there's a lot of mountains there. It would be good safety feature to have if we put something in there that will stop the pilots flying it into the side of a mountain? Good point, you think to yourself. So they fitted it with state-of-the-art art satnav, Global Positioning System, that would tell the pilots where they were to within plus or minus five meters, and if there were any mountains in the area. They also put a radar system into the plane, that would tell them the same thing. And once it was built, they took it out to Indonesia and they got all the company executives, sat them in the back of the plane, served them Russian caviar, champagne. Up on the flight deck, there was a trained pilot watching what the pilots were doing to see how easy the plane was to fly. But it was a cloudy day, so air traffic control assigned them a route that took them over flat ground to a flat area where they could do what they wanted and then come back without any interference. And it all went very well until they decided to go back to the airport. They should have gone due north, they went due south to an area known as the Pilots' Graveyard. Well, they weren't flying in that direction very long before one of the two alarms went off. And their training was, they should have put the engines on full climb, turn around. They started having a discussion with each other. They said, we're over flat ground, aren't we? It's flat all the way between here and the airport, isn't it? It must be a glitch in the system. 30 seconds later, the second alarm went off. The pilot didn't even have a discussion this time, said there's that glitch again. He pressed a button to shut the alarm off. The plane flew into the side of a mountain. Everybody was dead. You see, they believed that they were doing the right thing. They believed that they knew where they were. But there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And I've been around long enough to see lots and lots of Christians who make similar decisions. We've got alarms going off, haven't we? We've got this Bible here. tells us how we should live our life. But just like those pilots, all too often people will leave it on a shelf to collect dust. We've got alarms like our conscience and the Holy Spirit. But all too often, people take no notice. And they do the spiritual equivalent to flying into the side of a mountain. But that warning isn't just for us, you know. It's not just a matter of we listen to God, we pursue righteousness for our own protection, for our own safety. There's another side to the story. And this is probably a silly question, but how many of those planes do you think they sold? <laughs> the answer was none. None. Actually that's not strictly right, they sold some to Aeroflot, the ones that had already been built, the rest they just scrapped or saved them for spare parts. It was a total white elephant. And isn't it the case so often that when we mess up, when people out there see us flying our lives into the side of a mountain, they think, well there's nothing in this Christianity is there? And they don't buy it either. If that seems rather grim, I'll move on to my next subject for this morning, which is that of peace. You see, when we pursue righteousness, when God credits us with righteousness, we can experience peace. By contrast, in Isaiah it says, there is no rest or peace for the wicked. Sorry, was there something the matter there? Can you still hear me? Oh good, good. So we're coming up to Christmas. I can't go without quoting this verse from Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I want you to note that peace in Scripture is not the absence of trouble or difficulty. We know this because Jesus said, peace I leave with you. It's something he gives John 14 verse 27 to give you the quoting full, peace I leave with you my peace I give to you I do not give as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid the peace of God which is summed up so well in that word shalom It is not the absence of war, strife. Jesus said to us, didn't he? In this world you will have trouble. But that something that he gives us is the Holy Spirit. If you remember our original Bible reading, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us peace. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives us joy. The Bible is full of stories, isn't it, of people who found peace even in the face of danger. I've listed just a few of them. Jonah, while he was in the belly of the whale, experienced peace to write beautiful poetry. David, when he went out to fight Goliath, had confidence to say, you come at me with sword and shield, but I come at you in the name of our God. Peter and Paul sang hymns while they were in prison. They witnessed to the guards. They experienced miracles. They also experienced peace. The Holy Spirit even gives us peace at times when we have been disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Our peace comes from knowing that we are right with God And nothing can separate us from from the love of God. Paul, of course, famously said that if I die, I go to be with Christ. If I live, I get to serve Christ. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And that is the peace that we have. In 2 Corinthians... The Spirit is described as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That is the way that the NIV translates it, which is more of an interpretation rather than a translation. But it's a a good interpretation. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. He gives us a taste of what's to come. And what is it to come? Well, we know that from Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is our ultimate peace that we will one day experience. But if you're not at peace this morning, let me tell you that God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to give you a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And my last point is joy. I have to admit I struggled a little bit with this one. Because if you've been around in church for a long time, you know that very often people don't express much joy in church, do they? I mean, sometimes people do, but sometimes people don't. I've done the Alpha course a number of times. Probably some of you have been involved in Alpha as well in the past. And the initial speech is Christianity, boring, irrelevant, and untrue. And that is just how lots of people see it, isn't it? But our joy is eternal, just like our peace. In Job 20, and verse 5, it says this, The joy of the godless lasts but a moment. A friend of mine, Mark Hutton, who I've worked with on Christian radio quite a number of times, has a saying that he likes to use, and I'm going to throw it out there. He says, I believe that the Christian life is to be enjoyed not endured. And I'm not preaching here that come to Jesus and everything will be fine. That's not what I'm saying. But I believe that the Christian life is to be enjoyed, not endured. Nehemiah knew something about it. He said, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Our role model, of course, should be Jesus. Jesus was often seen at parties. He was known as a friend of sinners. Some people claim that the only reason he went to such parties, if that's what we want to call them, was because the lost were there, and I'm sure that was true. But as I read through the Gospels, I see that there was something about Jesus that made him attractive to the lost. By contrast, it was the religious and the wealthy and the powerful that didn't relate to him. Matthew 11, verses 16 to 19 gives us the attitude of the Pharisees. this is just a a picture of what the Pharisees were saying about Jesus to what can I compare this generation they are like children sitting in marketplaces and calling out to others we played the pipe for you and you did not dance we sang a dirge and you did not mourn for John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I'd have loved to have been around in those days when Jesus was there. It's interesting, isn't it, that the very first miracle Jesus ever did was he turned 150 gallons of water into wine. I mean that must have been some party. And it says it was the finest wine. Chateau Neuf de Pape. I don't think I don't think they had that in those days. Or something from the vineyards of Baron Philippe Rothschild. Although he hadn't been born, so probably not. But it was the Pharisees who didn't like him, it was the religious it was eternally dull and offended but I believe the Christian life is to be enjoyed not endured and now I want to give you very quickly just four areas where we need to rediscover that issue of joy firstly we need to be joyful about our salvation once upon a time we were going to hell now we're going to heaven. Well, two of you think that's a good news. <laughs> there's, there's a preacher I like to listen to sometimes called David Pawson. He's going to be with the Lord now. But he tells the story of it being in a church where he... Dis- Where he preached a whole sermon on the subject of joy. And he linked into this sermon on joy the issue of raising hands in church. And afterwards he was talking to a man and he looked rather dour. And he said to him, Tell me, sir, do you lift your hands in church? And he said, I'm lifting the hands in my heart. David Pawson said to him, well that's unusual, my hands are on the end of my arms. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend that when you're visiting a church, Raphael. (laughs) I don't know if he got invited back again. Probably not. But we should be joyful about our salvation. This world is just a fleeting vapour and then we get to experience all eternity in the presence of an almighty God, a God who by the way, and this is my second point on the subject of joy, we need to develop a sense of humour. If we can't laugh at ourselves, other people will. The Bible talks on a number of occasions about God laughing. It says that he dances over us with joy. He sings when he thinks of us. On the day that we were saved, the angels in heaven rejoiced. Why is it that we work so hard at making... Christianity so boring. The third issue on joy. We need to rediscover the issue of joy in worship. So many times in the Old Testament people worshiped God exuberantly. They worshiped him with harps and lyres and flutes and cymbals and dancing. There's more than one occasion when it was so loud that it felt like the ground shook. And this is in the Old Testament. People worshipped with flags and banners. And I'm not going to recommend this bit, but on one occasion, David even stripped off to his underwear and danced before the Ark of the Lord. In Psalm 126, it says this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy let there be joy in our worship sing like nobody's listening dance like nobody's watching love like nobody's ever hurt you before we need also to rediscover joy in our times of serving God Serving God is meant to be a joyous privilege, not a burden. We also need to be joyful for those who serve us. When you hear a visiting speaker or or not a visiting speaker, maybe Raphael or somebody else preach a sermon and it it uplifts you, go and say, that was a good message today, that touched me. When the worship team brings us a new song, and you think, I like that new song, go and tell them. Share the joy around. Let there be joy in serving God. Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I don't remember if that's one of the Psalms of David or not, but whoever wrote it, they, they had an attitude. I, I'd rather do a menial task in God's kingdom than do an important task in this world. It's joy even to do the simplest things for God. I believe that the Christian life is to be enjoyed, not endured. And let me quickly finish by mentioning that role of the Holy Spirit in this. Our righteousness comes from the Holy Spirit. Our joy is given by the Holy Spirit. Our peace comes from the Holy Spirit. If you know God, if you've repented, if you've made your peace with him, he will give his peace to you through that Holy Spirit I hope you have the Holy Spirit in you this morning if you don't or you don't know what that means then please come along and talk to someone either myself or Raphael or one of the deacons I'm sure they will be able to explain what that means but for now I'm going to leave leave that with you The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of following rules and regulations or being good in yourself. It is a matter of righteousness in the Holy Spirit, peace in the Holy Spirit, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord thank you that you have done so much for us we were dead in our transgressions and our sin but you came to us and made us alive that we may be joyous in your presence that we may glorify you that the joy may spread out from us to those who are our neighbours our family, our friends those we just encounter from day to day. Lord, we give you thanks for all that you have done. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.